The first scripture reading today is Habakkuk 2, verses 1 through 5. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright but the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. The second reading is Hebrews 10 verses 35 through 39. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. May God add his blessing to the reading of this scripture. What is the world coming to? That's Habakkuk's question as he sees the violence and the injustice and the multiplication of evil all around him. And as we live in these days of increasing evil and turmoil, we ask God the same thing. What's the world coming to? When we left Habakkuk, He had gone through two rounds of questioning God about God's ways. We might find ourselves asking God, why? How long? About various things we experience and see. We see another bombing. We see another shooting. We see another nation that explodes. And we ask God if if he's aware of this and does he plan to do anything about this anytime soon. Someone said, it's a wise person who takes his or her questions about God to God for the answers. And that's what Habakkuk does. And then he was determined to just simply sit on the wall, on the ramparts, and watch and wait. 
until God gave him a satisfactory answer to his complaint. We don't know how long Habakkuk had to wait, but to watch and to wait for God's answer and his timing is a spiritual practice in deep patience and faith. Waiting on God takes time because we can't hurry God up. Waiting on God is lonely work. As far as we can tell, Habakkuk's the only one standing on that wall. And standing on the wall may be figurative for just the larger waiting and watching But watchmen in the Old Testament, just like guards, just like centuries today in our culture, are often out there all alone. Waiting on God takes quiet and stillness. Don't expect a lot to happen. You have to be okay with the great silences of God, which can last for days, weeks, years. The former president of Calvin Theological Seminary in Michigan, Cornelius Plantinga Jr., said that the silences of God are mysterious, exasperating, consoling, pregnant with meaning. And they require our trust at least as much as does the Word of God. God does not talk all the time. And God's silence is as emphatic as his speech. Habakkuk's waiting on God. Waiting on God means we're willing to be corrected. We ask God for an answer. He may say no. He may say you need to think about that differently. But we wait and we watch while we go to work and while we shop and while we take care of the family and while we do our daily things. We study daily life and We do it while we move through life. But there is a stillness and there's an expectancy in us as we're doing that. We're watching and waiting. But waiting on God is worth it. We grow in faith by learning how to wait. Now, our impatient selves resist that, don't they? But it's true. We grow in our faith when we wait for God. So many people miss what God will show them because they're at another party. Habakkuk prayerfully waits and watches. And the Lord answers. And when he does, he tells Habakkuk to write what he is about to say to him, large letters on tablets so that everybody can read it. The image of a runner or a herald running with some message, this revelation, comes from those times when messages were broadcast by people going up and down the streets of the villages and the towns with big signs, tablets, for people to read. That's kind of how we, that's how the word got out in the mass media of the Old Testament times. Kind of the forerunners of our sandwich board guys today. And it's like this Lord is saying, read my lips. Make it plain, Habakkuk, make it plain. The vision is coming. It has an appointed time. And when God says there's an appointed time, believe it. 
God has a definite time when his purpose will be fulfilled. God's time is determined by him and not by any human being. He is the Alpha, he is the Omega. He is the Lord over all time, and he will make the call as to when his promises are delayed and when his promises will be fulfilled. When the time is right, when the appropriate hour has come, God will fulfill his purposes for us, for our times, and for all the world. This revelation, which is what God is working out, is not false. The Lord says, it may seem like it's coming slow, but wait for it. It will surely come. Oh, how slow the promises of God can seem sometimes. Good night. And then he points Habakkuk to the proud. And in that passage, the proud he's talking about were the Babylonians. Those ruthless, violent, take-no-prisoner enemies who the Lord said he is sending to come upon Judah. That was Habakkuk's problem in the first place. Why? And he couldn't handle it. Why? Why would God do this? He's complaining to the Lord. Lord, are you serious? What are you thinking? But the Lord's ways are not our ways. And the Lord confesses to the prophet that he understands the Babylonians. They're not right. They're greedy. They're arrogant. They imprison people and nations unfairly and viciously. Their wealth has been stolen by treacherous means. They never have enough. They're always wanting more. They're never satisfied. Many people get steamrolled by the ambition and the power moves of others. It happens in international affairs. It happens in corporate affairs. It happens in personal affairs. Greed and pride and the quest for power always hurts God's world. God says Babylon's desires are not right. They're not upright. And the Hebrew idiom used there, it really doesn't translate well, but the Hebrew idiom used to describe the Babylonians literally means his soul is not straight in him. His soul is not straight in him. Babylon is not straightforward. Not, they are dishonest. Babylon pretends to be strong and successful, but underneath the surface, things are actually crumbling. But amidst the terror and the pressure and the shadow of all of this, the Lord says to Habakkuk, but the righteous will live by faith. Amidst all this chaos and and, and turmoil and the darkness, the righteous will live by faith. Some Bibles read, the righteous person will live by his or her faithfulness. It can be translated that way too. This verse is, an, is a vastly important affirmation in the faith heritages of not only Jewish people, but Christian people. Many Jewish teachers believed that Habakkuk had taken 613 laws that had come from Moses and, boiled, and he had boiled it down to one phrase. Said, it's all caught up in this. The righteous shall live by faith. Just kind of like the Lord says, you know, you keep all the law and the prophets by keeping that one command. You shall love one another as I've loved you. Paul used this verse in Romans to state the theme of really that letter, how we are made right with God by our faith in Christ. He uses it again in Galatians. Second time it's used in the New Testament. And then the writer of Hebrews also quotes Habakkuk. So these words from Habakkuk get quoted in the New Testament three different times. 
writing to a group of Christians who are being persecuted, who are being treated harshly, the pressure's really on. The writer of Hebrews encourages them, he says, not to throw away their confidence, but to persevere. Suffering can weaken our confidence. Suffering just weakens our confidence, and we wonder, is it worth it? And we get shaken. And so the writer of Hebrews points these Christians back to Habakkuk and his struggle. And the writer of Hebrews reminds those Christians that the righteous live by faith. Don't throw your faith away. Don't shrink back. Faith doesn't give up. It may grow weak. It may struggle. It may be an uphill battle, but it perseveres. Faith believes God is at work even when I can't see it or understand it. This is because the person of faith doesn't rely on their own resources, but they rely on an ongoing relationship with God as the foundation of his or her life. To be righteous doesn't mean morally perfect. It means to fulfill the demands of a relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. It is a relationship of trust, of dependence, of clinging to the Lord. You don't just think or know about God, you live with Him. When you have that relationship and you live in that relationship, then you are right with God. Then you're a Christian. Habakkuk says the person who is right with God will live by, notice those words, live by their faith. When we live by something, we stake our lives on it, don't we? And in this day of proclaimed lifestyles of this flavor and that flavor, the Christian lifestyle is Jesus Christ, pure and simple. That's the Christian lifestyle, Jesus Christ. We live by it. We live by him. And we read and we study the Gospels and the New Testament to find out what that is and to be formed in that. The word to live by faith comes to Habakkuk under the shadow of the attack of Babylon. It was a scary thing. Oh. But faith is the opposite of fear. Faith is the opposite of fear. Uh, Marilyn Robinson, maybe some of you know her. She's a Pulitzer Prize winning author, also a person of Christian faith. Um, Primarily a writer of fiction. Her book, Gilead, won the Pulitzer Prize, and her other works are highly acclaimed. I've kind of had to train myself in reading fiction. It's never kind of come naturally to me, but I found her books very accessible, very engaging, uh, very thoughtful. She's become one of this nation's most uh, well-respected writers and also thinkers. And in an essay that that, uh, came out end of last year that she wrote entitled Fear, the name of the essay is Fear, Marilyn Robinson says she believes two things. She says, first of all, contemporary America is full of fear. And she said, second, fear is not a Christian habit of mind. As children, we learn to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And we learn that after his resurrection, Jesus told his disciples, Lo, I'm with you always to the close of the age. Christ is a gracious, abiding presence in all reality, and in him history will finally be resolved. We're taught, aren't we? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Yet Marilyn Robinson says that contemporary Christianity doesn't seem to be living in these beliefs. And she has a problem when Christians of this nation don't accept the authority of our own texts. In other words, we don't believe this, the very Bible that we read and we say we believe in. I mean, can you think of a place in God's story, anywhere in the Bible, where God tells people that living in fear is really the lifestyle he wants? That's what I want you to do. I want you to be afraid. Can you think of any place? She says, as Christians, we are to believe that we are not, that, that we are to fear not the death of our bodies, but the loss of our souls. And we lose our souls when we don't live by faith in the living, gracious, eternal God. Fear is growing. Fear is growing. We're afraid that we don't have enough. We're afraid of guns, and we're afraid of not having guns. We're afraid of people of other colors and other religions, sometimes Christians. We're afraid of power and who's in power and not having power. We fear being perceived as unpatriotic. We fear being too conservative. We fear being too liberal. We fear how people perceive us and of not being invited. God forbid I wouldn't be invited. We fear... The food we eat, the schools we go to, the air we breathe, our neighbors, stock market moves, we get scared. We fear what we find inside of us, the feelings, the thoughts, the desires. We are doing fear quite well these days. We're doing it very well. Now, that's not to say there's not concerns or worries to be thinking about. There are real dangers to beware. But fear blinds us to the difference between a real threat and irrational thinking that everything and everyone is a threat. If we forget God, who is our rock, who is our confidence and our strength, we make irrational responses to irrational fears. Jesus says again and again, again and again, do not fear. You have faith and you believe. That's what I want you to do. Do you stimulate fear or do you stimulate faith for others around you? Um, are we the type of people others would sh choose to share a crisis with? Um, if, if I'm going through the storm, I want you with me. Do they see our judgment as sound when things get stressful or scary? Faith in times of evil takes perseverance, hope, and trust. It takes not buying into the values of the kingdom of this world, but hanging on to the reign of God. It takes resistance. And that comes by having a deeper, grander, larger vision of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me share with you a man and a people who are living by faith in a place of great fear. Ara Badalian is a pastor of a church in Baghdad, Iraq. Now, although the capital of Iraq, Baghdad, has not been overtaken by ISIS, 
The violence over the past 12 years has reduced the Christian population in Baghdad by 20%. Christians have left, some by force, some by choice. Perhaps some of us don't even know there was a vibrant church. There are Christians in Baghdad, Iraq. We think maybe everybody's Muslim there. Are you aware there was, until recently, a much larger church there? And when the city of Mosul fell and the villages on the Nineveh Plain all fell, it just had a terrifying effect on the Christian community, as you can imagine, uh, in Baghdad. And it was a catastrophe for Christians and other minorities as well. And while much of the church has fled and had to flee, there is still a Christian community there. Ara Badalian and his vibrant congregation see refugees arriving in the city, and they are, they are trying to meet the needs of some of the people there. This pastor says he believes reconciliation needs to be promoted amongst the different groups in the Iraqi communities. He says he thinks the church has a role to help the community obtain new values, reject violence, accept others, and love the other. And the young people of Bedalian's church, one of the things they did during the month of Ramadan is they arranged food for some of the Muslim people. During Ramadan, the month during the days from sunup to sundown, Muslims fast. And some of the young people came and provided food and arranged food for their Muslim neighbors. Bedalian doesn't gloss over the challenges of being a Christian in Iraq. He admits that the violence has had very negative consequences for his church. And he says, though, that we can't abandon biblical values like loving others just because that happens. He says the situation in Iraq now prompts people to think carefully about eternity and gives an opportunity for us to evangelize. The devil shows us sin, displacement, and death, and many people see the contrast in Christ and believe in his love and salvation. He admits he can't be open with the gospel outside of his church, but he holds to a different vision. Now, I would think there would be a lot of fear living and being a Christian, particularly in Iraq. But Ara Bedalian is leading his church not in fear, but in faith. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in a Nazi prison, he wrote to his fiancée about living with faith in the face of the situation of the world at that time and what he called the complex darkness of their own personal fate and imprisonment. And he said, I do not mean the faith which flees the world, but the one that endures the world and which loves and remains true to the world in spite of all the suffering which it contains for us. Faith is the answer God gives to Habakkuk as he struggles with the darkness that is happening all around him. And the ones who are right with God are, and are pleasing to God are the ones who live by Christians are living by faith right now that someday God will bring his new heavens and new earth and that he is working his purposes even now. We live by faith through the waiting. We live by faith through the silences of God. We live by faith in the face of fear. We live by faith not in ourselves, but faith in our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul said, because of that, we show that this all-surpassing power is from God, and it's not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, 
but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Meanwhile, those who will be right with God will live by faith. Let's pray. And take a moment of silent reflection to be attentive to whatever word God has had for you this morning. Give us, Lord, lives of faith. Give us unconquered hearts which no difficulty can wear out. Give us the understanding of you that will allow us to persevere. and Give us a vision of your victorious coming now and in the future of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Nothing can separate Even if I ran away Cause your love never fails I know I still make mistakes, but you have new mercies for me every day, cause your love never fails. Cause you stay the same through the ages, cause your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the Because I know that you love me Cause your love never fails